Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, John Cooler. Hello, Mustang fans, and welcome to another Ford Performance Edition of the Mustang Owners Podcast. I'm your host, John Clore, and as the Enthusiast Communications Manager for Ford Performance, I hope that you are reading my efforts in the Enthusiast section of FordPerformance.com every week. And, as always, my co-host is none other than longtime club president and Mustang hobby and industry guru, Mike Ray, who is known in the Enthusiast world as the king of connections. And, Mike, tonight we have one of our all-time Ford guy favorites, as if everybody has ever chased a Mustang at DAP or Flat Rock, it's likely that this guy had a hand in it. He's one of the biggest legends that a lot of people probably don't even know because he was inside the walls of where those Mustangs were being built. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ralph Arning, the retired Ford Service Engineering Program Manager for the Mustang at both Flat Rock and the old Dearborn Assembly Plant, all the way from Utah. Ralph, thanks for joining us here on the Mustang Owners Podcast. Well, you're very welcome. It's uh, it's my pleasure. It's great to hear <laughs> your voice and Mike's voice. So it's it's been a long time. Well, we didn't want to make this too long because um, we were we've always been talking about the role you played for Mustang clubs all over the country. For those clubs and those enthusiasts out there that know the Ralph Arning name, that means that they had to want to do something at a Mustang assembly plant, and they needed a liaison. They needed a a plant person to come and help them make the rest of the world understand why crazy people want to come to a factory to watch their baby being built. And Ralph, would you say that was the beyond the fact that you, everybody wanted a tour of the plant? Was that the number one reason why people bugged you all the time? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was getting access to the plant. And then I had the, uh, the regular part of my job business was uh, taking care of customers that had, maybe some issues, uh, couldn't find a part, couldn't get a part or whatever, and uh, finding a way to make uh, make everybody happy and get and, and get those things taken care of. So it was, a, it was a fun job. I really enjoyed it. And I did that same job at, at Dearborn and at Wixom and at Lorain, Ohio. Um, yeah, I couldn't keep a job. Uh, so they sent me all kinds of different things. You were always in service engineering, though, in, in pretty much that role at those different factories. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I started out as a uh, mechanic at Ford in the uh, emission certification laboratories. And uh, from there, went to the tech hotline and then to uh, service engineering, and where I did uh, truck powertrain. And... Uh, and then when they started the PVTs, uh, they sent me to, uh, of all places, Lorain, Ohio. And I a lot of great cars. Every day. Yeah, a lot of great cars out oh, of that place. Oh, yeah. we did. The, I was doing the T-Bird and the Cougar at the time. Oh, and wow. uh, it was a nice commute, 156 miles <laughs> each way every day. <laughs> Thank God, Thank God you, you weren't in Utah then, eh? That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, so, so when did you... So, where did you go after Lorraine then? Was it, uh, did you come up to it, Detroit? It, after, yeah, after Lorraine. I did two years in Lorraine, and then they sent me to uh, Wixom Assembly Plant uh, to do the Lincolns. 
mm-hmm. which was nice. That was only uh, eight miles from my house. Uh, <laughs> so that was uh, a good favor. Stayed there about 10 years. Then uh, they moved me to a Dearborn Assembly uh, to take the uh, SN95 Mustang uh, out of production. So I was there in 04. And then they moved me to Flat Rock uh, to launch the new um, S197 Mustang and uh, spent the rest of my days there, almost uh, 14 years. So, Mike, was that when you first met Ralph uh, from the, the transition from DAP when they moved everything? And back then it was named AAI because that was still a Mazda plant. We had to kind of take it over. Is that when you first started interacting with Mr. Ralph Arning? It was a couple years after that. I want to say it was 08 or 09 when I first started talking with uh, Ralph. And uh, I originally, I think I, I met John Savona first, and um, he told me I needed to talk to Ralph and uh, Gary Stewart and um, get things rolling. And I think we did a conference call and about what we were trying to accomplish. And um, these guys were just beyond amazing. I remember feeling so special, like we were going to possibly bring this tour to the club. And we absolutely did. And um, it started to become a yearly thing and it was just so great. And towards the end when the tours were kind of shut down and, um, you know, more recently, like around the 2015 time, um, after the whole, um, you know, faster horse movie and all that, we did, um, a little event we did inside the little screening room, if you will, off the lobby oh, yeah. over there and Ralph and everybody was in there and Ralph was giving away some good gifts. I think he had some coins, some, um, you know, the challenge coins and things like that. And if we were doing for trivia questions and stuff like that, but we had a big group in there and uh, me and Ralph got to speak to the crowd and uh, it, it was just an amazing event, but none of that at all could have ever been done without Ralph being involved. Yeah, Mike, you're right. And Ralph, you need to know that the people that were able to take those tours through DAP and, and eventually getting the, into Flat Rock and seeing cars made and then all the onesies, twosies that you did for, when I was at SVT and again at Ford Racing, uh, when when we had a VIP customer uh, standing on your head when the boss was done and the bullets and uh, all those things, Ralph, uh, none of that would have been possible. We couldn't get in there. We didn't. You were our only hope. So you were Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I thank you for that. It was it was a lot of fun. I actually did a very similar role over at uh, the Wixon Assembly Plant. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you didn't get a lot of people who wanted to see their town car being built, but hey, you know, if, if uh, you know, if we if we had a request, um, it kept me in good stead always with the plant, with the plant manager, and that, and uh, they cut me a lot of slack, um, and that came in very important at uh, Flat Rock when uh, National Geographic came in to film uh, Ultimate Factories. And uh, and that was a that was a, a fun uh, a fun week uh, herding cats through the plant literally, uh, and we we had a good time doing it. it. Was it was a lot of fun? Did anybody ever get you in trouble? I'm not saying like Mike Ray personally. I'm saying when you brought in a group, say on the, on the little trolleys. Anybody try to get off or talk to a UAW member while they're trying to build a car? Or did you have any, I mean, talking about herding cats, you know, Mustang owners, when they get into the factory, they turn kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, everybody was always on their, their very good behavior. Um, 
never never worried about anybody you know getting out of line or anything um everybody was you know real happy to be there they're they're very much overwhelmed once they get inside the plant yeah you, you don't realize the choreography going on in the plant of the machines and the people and um I don't know who laid laid out those plants uh, along the way, but uh, my hat's off to them because they make it look very easy, and I know how difficult it is. Well, we know this, Mike. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Maybe it was at the last club meeting. Um, Ralph Arning would have been fired if he had been around in, uh, what was it, 1965, when Martha Reeves and the Vandellas came into uh, Dearborn Assembly uh, and they were sitting in Mustangs as they were driving, as they were being written, driven down the line at DAP and filming Nowhere to Run. Now, if you people don't believe me, go on YouTube and look up Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, uh, Nowhere to Run, 1965, and you'll see it was filmed inside of a moving assembly, of Dearborn assembly, and there were, these girls were jumping in across the assembly line, sitting in Mustang convertibles and watching people slamming fenders on. And I thought, how would Ralph have gotten that thing put off in 1965? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, you couldn't do that. Yeah. Have you ever uh, seen that video, Ralph? Pedigree. Have you ever? Oh, seen yes, it? indeed. Oh, okay, good. Because um, Mike has been approached by Motown, and they want to do a Mustang show at their uh, after they re rehab their museum in Detroit. And we want to get ahead of, uh, we want to see if Martha Reeves would come out and if somebody will bring a Mustang convertible and we could try to recreate what happened at Dearborn Assembly Plant in 1960, <laughs> although it's in black and white. Who does yeah. stuff in black and yeah. white? Yep, we can record that on an iPhone on black and white. There's yeah. no issues there. So, Ralph, we just, I, I know that you had good relationships with the plant, but I know that there's also people bring cameras in, you brought journalists in. I mean, every time someone wanted to get into the plant, you had to put on that vest of yours, you had to give them the safety speech, and I mean, all the myriad of people. Did you have, did you, were you able to take Ford execs, uh, some new people that you hadn't seen? Were you able to meet any of the big wigs beyond just the guys in upper manufacturing at Ford? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Bill Ford. Um was uh one of the guys that I that I had the pleasure of meeting. Uh but uh they generally, you know, they generally hung around with, with other folks. Uh, Carol Shelby when he would come into the plant, uh would always uh spend a little bit of time with him. Um which was always fun. Um so um but I I, I think the guys to me that were the uh, always the best were the customers and uh, oddly enough there's several people that came in did tours of the plant that i've kept in touch with over the years um and that has been been pretty neat uh i still keep in touch with them there's uh, one gentleman uh uh in phoenix uh, and i've actually i actually went to his retirement party so you can make some long-term connections uh this way as well which is uh which was a lot of fun well you know and all the talk, great ford people yeah when people talk about going to dearborn and going through the plant it's always this the one that ford does out of the henry ford museum at the f-150 plant 
and Dearborn truck. I mean, it's it's great and everything, but there's something, Ralph, about the Mustang that uh, we we get so many requests, and I don't think Mike is it. They don't give those tours anymore. We they were on and off after Ralph left, and mostly off. That is correct. Um, it's kind of like an end of an era, if you will, um, there, and you don't know how much we get asked for that constantly and literally nonstop on there and how much people did cherish every time that we did get to go. And like Ralph said about those one-on-ones, if you had a special thing like that, that's something that no one will ever forget in their lifetime. So the impression will just last forever. And I know it did with all of our tours too. And when we tell people we used to do that, they like, they can't even believe it. And it was so personal. And our first tours, we weren't even on the trolleys. We were walking and we had to be wow. in groups. And uh, that's why the groups were a little bit larger, but, we had to stick together and all that, but it was just very well managed. Everybody was on their good behavior. Um, no one was trying to take pictures or anything like that. It was just an awesome experience to uh, to take in. And like I said, it's just a memory that'll last forever. Ralph, I kind of think a lot of those UAW members, when they saw you walking through with owners, they, they kind of enjoyed being on display and uh, having people clap for them and appreciate what they do. Oh, yeah. We had, we had several of the uh, uh, team members there at uh, Flat Rock uh, that would actually come out and engage with the, with the tour groups uh, if they had an opportunity. And uh, they're, they're very proud of their work. It's a high pride plant. And, uh, and that shows, you know, uh, you're, we aren't just making cars, you know, not just making some, you know, blah sedan, you know, we're making Mustangs. Right. And, you know, and that's, uh, and everybody has a, a a good memory of a Mustang, right? Uh, and you know, if you go back, talk to anybody and say, "Hey, you know, uh, you ever you know had anything to do with Mustangs?" Oh yeah, you know, I I got lucky in the back seat of one. <laughs> you have to be real lucky for that. Uh, my neighbor had one. I always wanted one, or you know, I had one and I sold it. Wish I had. But everybody's got a Mustang story. That's for sure. And, you know, uh, and that's what makes it so unique. You end up, yeah, it's a unique product and unique customers. Um, and I recall, uh, John, when you gave one of my Mustang customers a, a Mustang immersion. Right. And it was a gentleman from Germany. And who's uh, was going to be visiting the Detroit area? He had ordered a Mustang convertible, right? And you managed to really do it up good. You know, he had uh, he had the tour of uh, Flat Rock, got to see his own car uh, after it was built, um, and then a nice uh, trip. I think he took him to the Roush uh, Museum yep. and <laughs> also uh, all all the way around uh, the SVT group. Yep. And then uh, a nice dinner over at Miller's <laughs> with a guy by the name of Gail Halderman. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Who's yeah, that Mike, guy? <laughs> Mike, how many cheeseburgers <laughs> did you have? Mike, be honest, how many cheeseburgers have you eaten at Miller's Bar in Dearborn with Gail Halderman? It, you know, talk about an honor. Uh, Ralph, I don't know if you knew this, but um, Gail used to come up frequently for uh, doctor visits and whatever it would be. And... Um, Every single time he came up, he would call me and John to go meet him at Miller's to get a burger. And um, man, are those cherished memories, huh, John? We would sit there for two or three hours and just talk everything with Gail. And I mean, I, I it, 
absolutely priceless to do that. But yeah, at least a couple dozen times. Well, Ralph, that's what makes it, it, it because you understood that. And I'm not I'm not pointing fingers at anybody that works at Ford today in those in those roles, but you understood that you 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 work very hard to get those people access to the plant and to see their cars born because you understood what it meant to them. And like Mike said, you know, you have you've created some cherished memories for so many people and done so many favors for us. We feel we'd do more favors for you, but it's a long commute to Utah and back. Yeah, well, you know, uh, next time you're in Vegas, I'm uh, about an hour and a half north okay. of Las well, Vegas. We so. could do that, Mike. We can hit Vegas, can't well, we? That's not bad. No, no. So, yeah, Mike, not bad at all. Mike, what we should do is tell the, the, the rest of our listeners that you talk about everybody's got a Mustang story. Ralph Arning didn't just make Mustang accessible in their factories to hundreds upon hundreds of owners and buyers, but Ralph Arning himself has a Mustang story. And Ralph, your family, uh, one of your relatives, played a very key role in when Carol Shelby and the racing world was looking for the best handling possible Mustang back before, let's say, 1964 when they did the Tour de France and Ullman and Moody were involved in racing Falcons and Mustangs. You had a relative that decided the Mustang could be a great little sports car if they only made one change. Why don't you tell us what that engineering change was? <laughs> All right. That's a good segue uh, to my dad, uh, Klaus Arning, um, who is a, uh, a chassis and suspension guy. And that was his uh, area of expertise. And he developed a four-link independent suspension. Uh, back in the early 1960s, uh, the first application for it was in the little two-seat uh, mid-engine Mustang uh, show car, sports car. Yeah, the Mach 2. And he, uh, the uh, that would be the uh, the the first one, the little the little sports car with well, the white the one, the Mach V4 the, the, um, engine, Mustang One with the the two-seater. Yeah, what? the little two-seater. Wow. And that. That was a uh, uh, project of uh, my dad and uh, his uh, his group, and uh, had the uh, the first iteration of my dad's independent rear suspension, which was a very unique design in that it had uh, uh, designed in anti squat. In other words, uh, no wheel hop. You know, the car would plant very well and accelerate, and also had anti dives so and uh, anti lift. And that was first used on the uh, uh, that little two-seater. Wow. And during 1963-64 time frame, my dad developed a the uh, that independent suspension as a bolt-in for the regular Mustang, in place of the live axle and the leaf springs, and right. used the same pickup points and everything else. And the rationale for that was, hey, give it, you know, sports car, more sports car handling. Mm -hmm. And the competitive set of cars that we were uh, looking at at the time would have been the Chevrolet Corvair. Right. Also independent rear suspension, not a good one, but mm -hmm. uh, and also uh, a little hot rod from uh, Pontiac called the Tempest, which mm -hmm. uh, the early iteration, 61, 2 and 3 had an independent rear suspension, and by 63, they were stuffing a V8 into that right. little chassis. Mm -hmm. So 
that was kind of the you know kind of the target uh, that we needed to be competitive. So this independent rear suspension was developed, uh, and it was also intended for use under the uh, the Shelby GT350 right. uh, as uh, the base suspension. There was also front suspension modifications uh, to go along with it. The suspension ended up not going into production because it would have been a premium of about three hundred dollars in 1964 dollars to put that in the mustang and when you're selling five hundred thousand a year it's kind of hard to justify you know uh that little extra little tidbit so uh but the uh suspension ended up that same essentially same basic design ended up underneath the 427 cobras Mm -hmm. and the Ford GT40 and all of its other iterations. Which was relatively successful. Yeah, relatively successful. (laughs) And also uh, was used on several uh, Indianapolis cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad, as part of his job requirement at Ford, was that if uh, the Indy guys, if you're running a Ford engine, you had access to my father for chassis and suspension advice. But but he was a pioneer too, and didn't he take a lot of that data was which was on paper and somehow get it computerized for people? Yeah the the problem with suspensions everything that moves creates another movement right you mm-hmm. know when you when the wheels go up and down caster changes camber changes toe changes um, and that's very difficult to plot on a drawing board okay you kind of you know, you're you're not able to do it in three dimensions. So one of the guys that my dad worked with, a gentleman by the name of uh, Chuck Carrig, uh, who's a real computer genius, developed a program that would plot all the movement in three dimensions. Wow. So that everything was, you know, if you changed one little thing, like where the control arm pivot is, you could then see the result on all the other movement of the suspension. Wow. Uh, that same program is still being used today. I think Bob Riley is still using it. Um, it's interesting because all that movement was printed out on paper as X, Y, and Z coordinates. Okay, there, It did not plot a graph. It did not show, you know, in 3D modeling or whatever. So you still had to think in three dimensions. Wow. And that was something my my dad was uh, was quite adept at. Um, and it's it's kind of neat to see the the progression of uh, suspensions, uh, where you'll see extra linkages added and whatnot. Um, all of them were there. The extra links. Uh, were put there to circumvent the Ford patent on the Ford Link independent rear suspension. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, for us, Ralph, when we heard this story about your dad and, you know, of course, everybody who ever owned a Mustang wished it would have had IRS. And what a, what a change that would be. I know cost is the devil, especially when Mustang came out, it had to be a, a low-cost sports car. But what your dad did 
uh, the funny thing is here, I, I worked at SVT and we finally got a IRS in our Mustang, although I can't say we were able to get wheel hop out of it. <laughs> John Coletti couldn't no, do that. Uh, but, but I could tell you this, the 50 years later, 60 years later, your dad's suspension, now the uh, the guy, the, the Venice crew out in Las Vegas who are building uh, 65 Shelby GT350s, brand new ones, uh, they brought your dad's suspension to life and you, you can actually buy a new Mustang GT350, a 65 from the Venice crew with that suspension in it. Isn't that right? Yep, that is correct. And uh, the uh, the original Venice crew, that's a, a unique cast of characters. Oh, yeah. uh, I've gotten to know them quite well. And uh, uh, one of the things is my, my dad got involved with a guy in uh, in northern Utah by the name of uh, Dwayne Carling. Oh, yeah. And Good journalist, writer, he, Mustang superstar. Yeah. And, you know, quite a character. Oh, he is. And, but he decided he had tracked down some of the original bits and pieces wow. of the uh, Mustang independent rear suspension. And just out of the blue, he, you know, he saw my dad's name and he called long distance information for Detroit for a Klaus Arning. <laughs> he got a phone number. He dialed the phone. My dad answered. Uh, my dad uh, had uh, just recently retired from Ford, but he still had access to the Ford archives, and he was able to obtain all the blueprints for that original design. And uh, every every nut, bolt, screw, everything. What, and uh, was able what to are the chances provide that information. I think the good Lord, the Mustang gods, wanted all this to happen in this way to have to to have you repeat this story to get to know the vent, the original Venice crew and have this done so many years later. Have Dwayne Carling involved, and you know you your family Ralph has done so much for Ford, and just as your dad was an expert in um, the, these suspensions and bringing these wonderful ideas to life, Mike Ray and I can attest that you were a magician and an expert at connecting Mustang inside these factories to real honest-to-God owners and completely change their lives because of your efforts. And on behalf of the Mustang community, Mike, you have to admit there's, there's been only one Ralph Arning. Absolutely. Um, like I said, it's just... And that's probably a good thing. <laughs> no, no. You know, honest-to-God, it's like everybody always asks me, Ralph, you know, why do I do what I do? Because, you know, I don't, I don't do, get a penny for doing everything I do for the club and all that other stuff like that. But you're the reason why I do what I do. The people I get to meet and the experience that we get to, you know, pass down to all the members because of people like yourself, that's what makes it all worth it to me to see those smiles on everybody's faces due to certain people, just because of the relationships that we all created together. Yeah. I want to apologize right now, Ralph, because People would call me, hey, can you get me in the plan? I go, no, probably not. It's not going to happen. No, Ralph call, retired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, back then I'd call Ralph and he'd stand on his head and he'd make a date. He's upside down. He calls me and he moves heaven and earth. He gets the, the plan to do, what, do whatever. We can walk the person through. And then they go, oh, John, you're the greatest ever. I go, no, no. Ralph, it was you that made us look good. So thank you, Ralph Arning, not just from all the things you've done for me during my career and Mike Ray and the club that Mike's been 
been dragging through this earth and taking through the factory as many times as he can. But thank you for all those people who got to meet you and been inside a Ford factory because of what you did, Ralph. Well, it it was my pleasure. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I always like getting these like last minute calls. And yeah. is that the way enough, Ford works? On my, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how Ford works. Absolutely, yeah, no one knows that better than me and John. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it was the second to the last day that I was going to be at work. Okay, and uh, my retirement was going to happen on Friday, and it was on a Thursday. I get a call from Dave Parasak. <laughs> Who's that guy? And he goes, Ralph. <laughs> he goes, he goes. I got a got a, a special visitor here from Australia, and he's in a bit of a bind. He's you know converting Mustangs over in Australia. Was it and Rob Some little fast. Yeah. You got it, Rob Eric. Yep. And yep. he goes he goes, he needs, you know, a little fasteners, this, that, and the other. Uh, can he come out to the plant? And I said, Well, the plant's shut down. I said, sure, you know, send them out. <laughs> so Rob was my very last tour of the plant. And he was kind of surprised. He goes, uh, he goes, Yeah, these, you know, funny little fasteners that hold the uh fender apron in or some such thing and we went out to the plant again in my famous visibility vest <laughs> and a handful of uh baggies and we got got him all the little nuts bolts screws little hardware things that uh he couldn't find <laughs> and uh but he was my my last last visitor at the plant and i still stay in touch with rob and uh, he's going to be an upcoming guest very good. soon. Yeah, Mike, we got to have him on the podcast. Yeah, so we've I've, I've already talked to Rob, and uh, he is coming on in the next week or two, uh, Ralph, to join us on the podcast as well. So we're going to have to share that story. Let's share Ralph Arning stories. Yeah, that's a great um, idea. Rob's a great guy, and uh -huh. uh, I've got to know him over the years, and uh, I've stayed in touch with him too, Ralph. And uh, he's just such a, a great and genuine guy that uh he's always a, a pleasure to talk to yeah yeah he's he's fantastic and just just a great guy i think uh, last time i saw him was three or four years ago at sema yep and uh, you know i guess uh he'll he'll be back in, unless they build an in and out burger in uh in melbourne um <laughs> uh, that's true <laughs> well, Ralph, I got to tell you, we you we've had so many great memories with you, and I want to thank you for sharing your time with all of our Mustang owners that are listening in tonight. And again, from everybody in the Mustang community for all that you've done for the clubs and the members and the owners, uh, a very hearty thank you, Ralph Arning. And we hope to talk to you again and maybe come visit you out there in Utah or Vegas. Yeah, like I said, next time you're in Vegas, give me a shout. You know, it's uh, um. If you follow the speed limit, it's an hour and a half drive. If I take my Mustang, I'm there in about 45 minutes. <laughs> um, and that's Ralph Arning, ladies but, and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> and that is exactly so. how we know Ralph Arning. Uh, we appreciate your time tonight, Ralph. Thanks again. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on the Mustang Owners Podcast. So until next time, we'll see you down the road.